Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. This is a series where we discuss the spiritual and philosophical aspects of tea and the life lessons and wisdom that grow out of such a practice. After all, tea lessons are life lessons. If you'd like to support our cause and keep these podcasts going, then visit globalteahut.org and sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea from growing, processing, and serving to the history, lore, ethnography, and even the spiritual aspects of the leaf. Every issue also comes with a tin of sustainably produced tea. Global Tea, of course, is also a community growing worldwide with a beautiful app for members that help you learn and grow together, as well as join or even host tea events yourself. This podcast is devoted to Cha Dao as a way of life. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, like the different genres, processing methods, science, or brewing methods and brewing tips, then check out our magazine or perhaps our YouTube channel, which is also called Global Tea Hut. There we have tons of videos, including a new brewing tea series where we do cover all the practical aspects of brewing tea. Of course, you can also come visit our free tea center here in Miaoli, Taiwan, Tea Sage Hut, where we offer two 10-day courses every month. Basically, this podcast isn't going to focus so much on the linear aspects of tea, the information about its processing, history, or brewing tips. It's going to focus instead on the life wisdom that comes from such a practice. Welcome to the eighth episode of Life of Tea. My guest today is Connor Goss, a dear tea brother and someone who's been serving long-term here at the center. Connor is starting a new chapter in his life and going back to the, as we call it, the world of dust. So I wanted to sit down with him and talk about what that means and how the transition is going to go. Uh, welcome, Connor. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's always interesting when someone starts a new chapter in their life and you're about to do that. Um, we have known each other before you came here to the TSH hut to serve and also during the service period as well. And I've definitely noticed some changes in you. Uh, what are the changes in your character or your way of life that you yourself have noticed in yourself? In other words, how has the TSH hut um, changed you? Uh, in the time that I've been here serving the center, the changes, uh, both externally and internally for myself have, uh, are beyond measure. Many of them I'm not fully conscious of myself as like, they're kind of like your hair, you can grow your hair out and not really notice that it grows quite long. Then someone points it out and then you realize that, oh, your hair is very long. So in that sense, the changes that I have kind of experienced are just part of me that to the point where I don't recognize them, that they are just part of daily life here. But I do feel that once there's space from this, this place, it may be a little bit easier to kind of see the ways I've changed. Some of them I, I am more conscious of and both from contemplation and reflection and then also people kind of point them out to me. Um, the most major would be that in the time that I've been here, I would undoubtedly say that I've been fundamentally and completely 
changed. I've died 10,000 times and then kind of I've been reborn again each time. As slowly, very, very slowly, I peel away layers of conditioning from my time in the world of my upbringing. As each of those layers are peeled back, it reveals another layer and another and another. And perhaps those are endless in the layers until I reach a point where I am free of, of that conditioning. What are some of the things that others have pointed out in you that have changed? Perhaps the most noteworthy remark we will make when they, especially I recently had the opportunity uh, back in December last year to go back to Australia for, uh, I think it was about three weeks, both to see my family and then we was traveling to Australia to do some teaching events. So I came beforehand to help organize that. Everyone that I saw during that time mentioned that I was much more, much more confident in myself, a little bit less quiet and shy. Um, I, I believe that's the most noteworthy one is that I've begun to overcome those perceived identities of, of being shy or quiet or not having the confidence to assert myself in situations or to do what must be done. And that's one of the greatest things that I've received in being here is the opportunity to have almost constant direct feedback of those false identities, those kind of character defects, those that, those layers of conditioning that aren't really necessary. Maybe at a time they were, but as with all things, we outgrow them. And when we do, we must let go of them and ultimately transcend them to change form and to grow and expand. So I'm incredibly grateful that in the time that I've been here that I've developed a little bit more confidence. I'd still say I have a very far way to go before I am very like, grounded and rooted in that ability to be confident in myself and my actions and in speech, to both speak and express myself clearly and interact with others in a way that is, is skillful. That's certainly what most people have remarked that has changed most about me. And then there are countless other smaller things that kind of pile up small changes that as you are in a space where you are essentially cultivating yourself constantly and whether it be through meditation or through service to others, you begin to peel back those layers of what really is not you. You begin to peel back those layers of conditioning that do not serve you at all and oftentimes hinder your, hinder your ability to navigate the world. Mm. So like many things in life, uh, confidence is something that's also conditional. We're all confident in different areas of life. And I remember when I first met you, um, I felt that you were definitely comfortable and confident in serving tea. But now I've noticed those changes in that the, the confidence has, has spilled to other areas of life as well. What do you think, where has that change come from? Has um, teaching classes perhaps helped you or uh, what are the like more specific 
activities here during your time of service here at the hut helped you become more confident? I'd definitely say that the opportunity to teach classes here was when I first received that great honor, I was immediately terrified that I'd have to kind of facilitate and speak about things I do know, but in front of others in a way that's hopefully instilling some knowledge for them is incredibly terrifying at the time. It's not something I would willingly place myself in that position. I struggled quite a bit for the first two or three classes and find a way of teaching that is in alignment with my own own self and then in a way that does impart knowledge upon others. And those classes really required me to be very confident in myself and what I was speaking about, not to kind of create any space or interpretation for uncertainty. And there was always the constant constant direct feedback of times when the language I may have used or how I may have spoken about a particular thing may have been, there may have been space there for interpretation or misunderstanding, which came from a lack of confidence in, in teaching and communicating in front of a group of other human beings. But quite quickly, there came less of a difficulty. And as times went by, I've found an incredible joy in teaching these classes and opportunity each time to to work through those layers of conditioning and to develop deeper confidence which as we said slowly spills from the t-space and into other areas of your life i've definitely experienced that as it's going to penetrate deeper and deeper as i've had the opportunity to both teach more and also step into roles of more responsibility as well which require one to be confident and uh, disciplined and take responsibility for one's actions. So the schedule here at the hut is quite different to the outside world. Um, I'd say it's it's quite demanding, especially during the courses, and uh, we are in service to others. There's not much time for yourself just to you know sit and idle, and also the the schedule I feel can be a strength. Um, something it's like a structure you can lean on that can help you and um, you know from hour to hour you pretty much know what you'll be doing each day now you're going back to let's say the floating world ukyo um, the the normal world for most listeners um, and it's going to be different for you do you think that it's realistic or even possible to continue this kind of lifestyle back home I do feel that the structure here and the schedule, especially during the 10-day courses, is possible to be brought back into the world. Perhaps not to the degree that is here, because obviously there'll be other commitments and responsibilities that I must honor. But most certainly, though, there'll be a structure. There'll be daily meditation, morning and evening. And then as much as possible, creating that space to cultivate oneself and to, to serve others. I do foresee there being challenges with with creating that space when I go back out into the world because there will obviously far less control over the space. There's always unknowns that arise. But I do certainly feel that's possible to bring the essence of 
the structure and schedule here back out into the world as I've been in it for more than a year, a year now, and I don't think, or kind of fathom what it'd be like otherwise to not have that daily rhythm, the daily structure of meditation and service. I will always much as possible strive to carry that forward. And it'd be interesting to see the times I do fall down and to see how, what resistance is experienced once I'm back in the world and the changes I must make to be more flexible and open to a space where there isn't naturally a schedule or structure. I know before coming here, I, I had some sort of structure and schedule, but it, it certainly was less than what what I've experienced in the last year. So I certainly meditated, perhaps not with the discipline and focus that uh, the schedule here and this space creates for one. I am committed to carrying that forward to to bring that into each day and use that as the foundation for the rest of my time in the world, to use that as a place where I orient myself from. And I must say that while I'm living here for the last year or so, that I've come to deeply enjoy that lack of space for one's own personal time or selfish desires. It's been a wonderful practice. So I'm both slightly terrified and excited for the fact that there will be greater space when I go back into the world. Space for unknown things to arise. Then also there will be that space that and that possibly that will slip back into old behavior and old patterns. It can be easy to, once you're back in a familiar environment, to slip back, even regress further than you were before. It's my strongest commitment that once there is that space that I utilize it in a skillful way that I don't unconsciously or consciously give myself permission to return to old ways, to old patterns, old behavior, but to utilize that space for my own growth, to deepen my practice, to water and fertilize the young but fragile saplings that I bring back with me, seeds that have grown over the last year or so, for they are still, still young and still very vulnerable to, to the wayless world. So beyond meditation, how are you planning to implement your training that you've received here at the hut in the world and not let the outside world dictate your way of life? Do you have any um, thoughts on practical things that you'll change in your everyday life? Ah, uh, this is actually what I've been contemplating the last, last week or so as I have made begin to make preparations to to depart very soon. And oh, there's yet to be a sense of certainty or clarity. I've had to kind of let go of that search for clarity and surrender into the unknown of what is to come. But there are some practical things that will certainly change. First and foremost, create a space both for meditation and then for tea so that no matter what time of day it is, there's always those reminders that I should be practicing. And then to carry forward that orientation into, into my work and into how I navigate each day 
but most importantly, I will carry with me a greater and deeper sense of discipline and no matter the whims or the ever-changing desires and moments of seduction that the world offers, that I will remain rooted in my training and my practice and use that as a as a point where a point of retreat of from that point I cannot go back further that there's always that to lean on in times of uncertainty and when the world will undoubtedly offer experiences and situations that challenge me tremendously and potentially give rise to me falling down but thankfully I have a much stronger meditation practice and then also daily rituals and prayers that I've cultivated while being here that I will use as tools, as ways of orientating myself skillfully in the world. So even amongst the undoubtable chaos and upheaval that the world is, that constant state of change that I can remain rooted in my practice. So undoubtedly, there's going to be a lot of different situations to deal with out in the world. And um, through serving here at the hut and the meditation practice, I have come to realize on a deeper level that every single desire I have is a source of suffering and unhappiness, be it a physical desire like uh, you know for food or companionship or a mental one for like more space to like read and study or even spiritual um, desire. Um, what is your method of dealing with desire? You're right in the fact that, that this space of where you're in constant service to others and this daily meditation, it gives rise to a deeper awareness and understanding of our own, I guess, character defects, our own shortcomings and where we, the desires that dictate our lives and for me, it's allowed, in the last, especially in the last, I'd say, three or four months uh, since re- returning from my brief visit back into the world, I've had the opportunity to go a little bit deeper and understand more clearly where certain desires in my life or within myself uh, dictate the, the flow and the direction I go, preventing me from really truly showing up and ultimately the methods I have for dealing with those whether it be a desire for more personal space or to fulfill brief sometimes overwhelming desires for fulfilling one's sexual desires or food or sleep which things that essentially dictate our lives I was more conscious of them. The methods I have for dealing with those are first and foremost meditation. It's through meditation that I've come to realize that there is an addiction almost to them. Even though it may seem innocent enough to give them space for a moment or two, uh, to give space to kind of take time to myself, to have a little time to do what I want to do, which is you have to read or time in solitude or to get a little sleep or, or whatever it is. I found my meditation practice to give me that space to 
to simply sit and confront them head on to realize that when I do give them space that they never just take that what you give them they always take a little bit more and a little bit more they're very persistent and before you know it they will consume your entire entire being they will be the primary force that motivates you and directs your life I've come kind of face to face with the ones that are strongest for me there's always that possibility that I will fall down and succumb to them and allow them to have space to to be which is very dangerous ultimately in being here I've through the daily service or really the life of services the moment you wake into the moment you sleep you're serving others that lack of space allows for one to kind of work with letting go and to see more clearly when those desires arise and to to work with them as skillfully as possible but always I the method I always come back to is meditation to use that as a way of confronting and seeing them and to understand why why they arise and actually at the moment as I do take this step into the next stage or next chapter of my life back out into the world I sit in a deeper state of contemplation or reflection of the one that that one desire that has a profound influence upon my own motivation and own orientation of the world and time and time again I come face to face with and oftentimes I succumb to and that is the desire to fulfill one's sexual I guess desires to to give space for that whatever form it manifests in but this is it can be a very as I've experienced many times it can lead you down places that you do not want to be the situations that under any other circumstances you would avoid completely I've seen time and time again in past experiences that this desire should not be given space that one must stand persistent and with strong strong will strong determination against it not to repress repress it it's actually dangerous as well but to understand its nature and understand how it influences one as it has in the past influenced me in ways that I'd rather not be influenced it's led me to places where that don't serve me or serve others allowing space for that allowing space to kind of fool myself and I believe in that if I fulfill this moment of this brief but very powerful experience of sexual desire that in fulfilling that I will experience long and everlasting fulfillment which is surely not the case it only leads to to greater and greater suffering both for myself and for others so through meditation I've come face to face with this and understand that this is the one that I must work on with all my focus and discipline as I am going back into the world where these uh, desires are Harold, Harold as 
the ways to find fulfillment in life that through these base these fulfillment of these senses of whether it be you know sleep or eating enough or fulfilling oneself sexually that these will give on meaning and fulfillment in life but as from what i've learned here not the case so i go forward from this place understanding that i must be ever ever watchful of my sometimes inability to navigate sexual desire and sexuality in the world and that i must and no circumstances give it space but work with it constantly through meditation and through my practice and i incredibly eager actually to go back into the world and to work with this more closely sexual desire is definitely something that every human being on the planet has to learn to navigate skillfully or hopefully they will take the time and if and put in effort to do so um, and this could be a whole other podcast but what i'm really interested in uh, also is like so you mentioned that meditation is the primary means of dealing with that but what does that actually look like um, what happens in the meditation do you contemplate that or do you just you know let the feelings arise and and um, observe them or or what does your meditation look like when those feelings arise and, and how do you work with them i found that the most powerful and fascinating simple practice to work with them through meditation is breath to simply follow the breath and when those thoughts or desires do arise to give them space but don't become attached to them to follow the breath always whether actually be in in seated meditation which often it's not often in that space it's thoughts or realizations of of their presence that arises but those actual desires often don't arise in during seated meditations more in day-to-day life and in those moments i as much as possible try to return to the breath no matter what it is i'm doing whether i'm out in the city or wherever i may be i'll try and follow the breath use that as a way of not becoming attached to those those desires mm. thank you for that explanation or that answer um so last time i sat down with wude and we talked about the eight balls of this tradition and i'm also interested in uh, which one of the eight balls resonates the loudest with you oh that there's absolutely no question that is the bowl of physical well-being of diet and movement that i must work with the most it's the one that is always there always always requiring more more focus more more awareness on because it is very very easy for me to to let this bowl kind of slip and to focus more on the other others as i have a terrible cups of more accurately non-existent physical movement practice which i have no excuse for if i create space for it it will, will come but i haven't created space for it. it is the one that i've seen and live in here that 
affects me the greatest and not exercising enough or exercising at all and how that influences my meditation practice and how I brew tea and how I go about each day. And I do know with absolute certainty that when I do create space for physical movement and exercise that, that these are incredibly beneficial and rewarding for me, whether it be walking or hiking, no matter what it may be, it, it allows me to be more embodied in my, in my body, not to drift off into the celestial realms or into the mind or off away from this vessel that I am, that I, that I inhabit. That allows me to understand that I must be embodied. I must have a physical movement practice that I have no excuses for. It's non-existence. Is that something you plan on uh, devoting some time to when you, when you leave the hut as well? Absolutely. I will be creating space daily for exercise, half an hour to an hour. And also I plan to under, undertake a few longer hikes, seven to 10 days to really work through, work through why I find it so difficult to have a practice of physical movement and exercise. Hopefully work more closely with it to cultivate that practice so that I have what is necessary for a healthy meaningful life so we while we must meditate daily we must also move our bodies and the two work beautifully together in aid in the other yes we must all get bigger muscles i agree <laughs> so this is also um one of the balls that i need to um drink from more than the others um but which one do you feel the most confident with? Which one do you do you think you've drunk the most out of? Well, well, there's not really one that I've worked with the most or worked with more than the others. I guess the one that's been most present for me and been here is healing and community, work and service, as obviously I've lived a daily life of service. So I've had the opportunity to work quite more closely with that. But they're all, each day I, I work with others, all of them really, as much as possible. But that one is the most prominent if I had to choose one. And I've seen such tremendous growth and reward and working with it more and more. And... As I do leave here, I strongly commit myself to carrying that forward with me, not to let it go, not to treat the life here as something other than my life, as an experience, or there's this and then there's my life back home. This is my life, and it always will be, no matter where I am as I do not have to be rooted in a physical place to practice a life of service. The life here at the center does obviously gift one very abundantly and very generously 
a space and a structure and a schedule to practice the life of service. But it simply means that when I return to the world that I must work extra hard to cultivate that, to cultivate a life of service, to use the world, the transient world as my practice, not to succumb to it, but to use each each experience, each, each moment of challenge and difficulty, each su- moment of suffering as opportunities to reaffirm myself and to practice and to practice more. Mm. I feel like um, working with these eight bowls and figuring out which one you need to drink out of the most is, uh, would be very beneficial for all of us. Um, there's a couple of more questions that um, I would like to ask you. Um, what do you think is the greatest treasure that TCH has to offer to someone who comes to serve long-term? To live here, to come here long-term, to, to live and to serve. There are many beautiful experiences, beautiful gifts, treasures that are received while here. But I would say that the greatest one is that you're given the space to to lose yourself, to let go of all those selfish desires you have, to all that is not you, and to practice cultivating yourself in a way that offers direct experience or direct feedback in each moment. And I've certainly, on many occasions, come to experience that as I let go of who I think I am and and surrender to to change. But that's certainly what the, the center and the space offers, the opportunity to, in a sense, to die again and again until all that's left is your higher self. Yes, um, peeling away those layers is definitely a, something that Hut uh, allows one to do if um, if one is devoted to to service and this life lifestyle here, but at least in my experience, it's it's not always easy. I mean, it's not something that the ego likes is you know giving up your own time and and uh, your desires and and focusing on others rather than yourself. Do you have any suggestions to someone who comes here to serve how to deal with uh, with the ego and and selfish desires? Uh, yes, this is on the challenges as well as that it's all good and well that there is that space to to lose yourself but we often we want our personal space or a time to ourselves and the best advice i can give from my own experience is to simply get out of your way there's no no uh no space to to negotiate what you give and you don't give you just give yourself completely obviously there'll be resistance even now i experience resistance and i go of things especially around personal space as i'm often one who who likes solitude why the fuck would i want to be around other people when i could just be by myself drinking some tea but then what's the fulfillment or joy in that doing what you want to do where's that got you i certainly know that it hasn't got me anywhere great 
sir. My advice is simply get out of your way and surrender in the knowing that this place, the center and this the schedule and structure that's here has changed the lives of countless beings in positive ways. Stop being skeptical, questioning, or giving space to your ego. Just let go of all that. And then and then maybe you'll you'll lose yourself. And in losing yourself you can find the the real you, the your true higher self that lies within you. Like we say in Zen, sometimes to reach a higher level you need to um, change form or let go of something to be able to pass through. And that's been my experience as well. Uh, letting like slowly letting go of my own selfish desires have has helped me to learn many valuable lessons and, and to connect to my higher self much more frequently than before and has has enabled me to let go of more of my ego and be of more service to others i'm also interested in the mistakes you've made um as we say it's all grist for the mill so perhaps thinking of them as mistakes is not the best way to approach them but let's say if you could do if you could um somehow travel back to may 2017 when you came to the tsh hut what would you do differently i wouldn't do anything differently as i wouldn't then be where i am now as the accumulation of those mistakes those opportunities and lessons for growth have allowed me to be where i am now and I don't really view any of them as mistakes. They have simply been opportunities to to reflect and to see how how I orientate myself to the world. But there have been many. Namely, and perhaps the most prominent for me has been the struggle to find balance in sleep and in work and and service here. As often I will sacrifice sleep over or I would sacrifice sleep to do other things both responsibilities here and then the persistent habit of staying up until very late hours of the night reading which can be beneficial but I've certainly experienced how it affects me poorly there was an entire month where I was up until one one thirty each night reading uh the dune series by frank herbert and while i received much wisdom and understanding from those books when you've got to wake up at five o'clock the next morning it's not a great idea you kind of go through a period where you're a little, a little bit sluggish and you're not as present as you should be so that's been one of the more persistent mistakes I've made and I still haven't really integrated. And then there's other mistakes around believing that my perspective orientation is shared by all, that there's no need to re reaffirm with others what their perspective is or what they thought they communicated. But as I've found many times that there's sometimes separation of a difference between two and if I'm in that moment I had of spent that little bit more energy and 
communicate and, and reaffirm and what they mean, then it would have led to an ability to both expend less energy in doing what needed to be done, but also allowed for me to show up a little bit more and to navigate more skillfully. But all of these have been opportunities for growth, continual lessons that I receive daily, and I still, and even in this moment, un- unpack and digest. Mm. Seems like uh, you have also learned from from those so-called mistakes, and that um, particularly that reading late into the night has been sometimes my mistake or something that I I deal with as well, and and that also connects to the ball physical well-being diet and movement um, but i'm glad that you know we're, we're both aware of those things and, and and working with those things that's the first step is realizing that some work needs to be done in that area uh, well thank you very much for um, sitting down with me today connor and um, thank you for being such an awesome tea brother it's been great serving beside you and I've always felt that if I have some questions on, or some advice, I've, I've been able to come to you and, and ask for it and, and received a lot of good advice from you. I wish you the best of luck in your journey out in the floating world of Ukiya. And uh, we will await for your return to the CSA chat in the future. Thank you, Connor. Thank you very much. It's the honor is... It's certainly all mine. And it's been an honor to speak with you and an honor to serve alongside you. And I look forward to many such moments in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Life of Tea. I hope you've enjoyed a few bowls of really nice tea while doing so. Join us again next time when Wude and myself will be discussing living tea. If you've been enjoying these podcasts, then I encourage you to leave us some feedback, some comments and some questions. And if you would like to support us or get some more info on the things that we're doing, then go to globaltheehut.org and sign up for the monthly magazine that we publish if you haven't already done so. Global Tea Hut is an ad-free monthly magazine that comes with beautiful sustainably produced tea every month and covers all aspects of tea from processing, brewing methods, history, lore, the spiritual and the community aspect of tea as well. Also be sure to check out our YouTube channel called Global Tea Hut where we discuss more practical aspects of tea like different brewing methods and other ways to improve your tea practice. Raising a bowl of tea in your direction until we meet again.